Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. China has capitalized and exploited a U.S. neglect of the strategic importance and the diplomatic concerns of Pacific Island countries. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. And this is Philem Kind. And I'm the D.C.-based China correspondent at Politico, where I report on the U.S.-China relationship from the D.C. lens. Last week, the Solomon Islands confirmed the signing of a security pact with China, sparking a strong backlash from the United States and its South Pacific allies, Australia and New Zealand. You know, the, the real importance of this is geostrategic in the sense that the Indo-Pacific region is an area where China is increasingly involved and extending itself militarily and diplomatically. Today, Philem Kine on how the U.S. is turning the screws on the Solomon Islands as a way to counter China and why U.S. officials are worried about history repeating itself. So the Solomon Islands are part of the South Pacific Islands chain that includes countries including Palau and Micronesia and Fiji. And these islands um, have a high strategic value, some of the most serious and costly battles of World War II were fought in this island chain, the island hopping of uh, U.S. General MacArthur. Somewhere in the South Pacific, a powerful task force of United States Marines begins offensive action to retake the strategic Solomon Islands. That was instrumental in defeating Japan. So these islands are have a, have a historical pedigree of being uh, strategically and geostrategically important. And that uh, importance persists today. But they are a long way away from the United States, but they are relatively close to uh, the United States's uh, key regional ally, Australia. So Solomon's is about 2,000 miles away from Australia, which is one of the reasons why Australia sees a very serious threat in China's apparent move to have a military foothold in that area. And so tell me about China's security pact. So over the last few weeks, it was revealed that the government of the Solomon Islands was negotiating and had negotiated a draft security agreement with China. Now, why would that be problematic? We know from history that the Chinese government has taken and exploited what appeared to be fairly innocuous and benign uh, agreements with countries in strategic areas to create military bases. And the best example of that is what they did in the Horn of Africa with Djibouti, where the Chinese government set up some what they called a quote-unquote logistics center, and which has now become a naval base for the People's Liberation Army Navy. And there are indications that China is doing something similar in Equatorial Guinea. So this uh, draft security agreement, which was secret, um, it hasn't been released publicly, mm. but a draft of it, which was leaked, indicated that the Chinese could, at the request of the Solomon Islands, send police, armed police, and military units to protect property and to protect the public peace 
in Solomon Islands. So very ambiguous. And the exact mm. text of this hasn't been released and by the Solomon Islands or China, and they're refusing to release it. And this mm. set off a storm of concern by uh, amongst the United States, Australia, New Zealand, and Japan, with all four of those governments imploring the Solomon Islands to rethink this and to not sign this security agreement for fear that it would give the Chinese government a military foothold in the region that could destabilize the geostrategic balance of the area. And what has been the response from Solomon Islands to this pressure? The Solomon Islands has responded by essentially calling this type of criticism or concern from the United States, Australia, New Zealand, Japan as as condescending, as mm. patronizing, and uh, willfully disregarding Solomon Islands' sovereignty. Prime Minister of Solomon Islands has repeatedly assured issued public assurances that there is nothing in that agreement, which is remains secret, that would allow the Chinese to set up a military base. But that has not placated the US, Australia, New Zealand, or Japan. And so what we saw is that we had a series of high-level Australian officials going to Solomon Islands in the last month to try to convince the Solomon Islands government to not sign this deal. And around two weeks ago, we had Daniel Crittenbrink, who is the Assistant Secretary of State for East Asian and Pacific Island Affairs, along with Kurt Campbell, who is the National Security Council's Indo-Pacific Coordinator. So these are the big guns of the mm -hmm. NSC and the State Department making this Hail Mary trip to Solomon Islands to ostensibly convince them to cancel this agreement and not do it. And what happened dramatically was that within just hours prior to Crittenbrink and Campbell's arrival, Chinese government and the Solomon Islands government announced that the draft agreement was now a final agreement, that it was signed, yeah. done and dusted, and nothing more to talk about. So the, is there nothing more to talk about? I mean, you have been writing about how the U.S. has been responding and, you know, how far they might try to go to actually block China from leveraging the security pact. So uh, the U.S. government is not giving up. And how they have responded to this now final but still secret security agreement between Solomon Islands and China is they have announced a series of diplomatic enticements to the Solomon Islands, um, starting with a brand new bilateral security dialogue that will take in economic, public health, a realm of issues. And so what it looks like is that the U.S. government is responding with diplomatic incentives to try to woo the Solomon Islands away from this Chinese embrace. And they are playing catch up in this, in the sense that the U.S. government, to a large extent, basically walked away from these Pacific Island states mm. decades ago. So the, you know, the, the Clinton administration in 1993 closed the U.S. embassy 
in the Solomon Islands in 1993. And so we had the announcement earlier this year by U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken that the U.S. will reopen that embassy. But obviously this comes too little too late. Mm -hmm. And I think what we're looking at here is essentially a bidding war between China and the United States and its allies in the region, New Zealand, Australia, and Japan, to try to convince the Solomon Islands that its best interests are served by being within the U.S., and its out region allies orbit rather than that of China. Uh, so this is uh, this is going to be a medium term to long term game. And what we're also seeing is it's clear that the U.S. has recognized it, it was not strategic to essentially ignore or neglect this region, and it's upping its engagement across those Pacific islands. And I think we can see it. We'll see an intensification of that engagement, which will be diplomatic and economic. Uh, to reassure those those states that they want that the United States is there and wants to be their main ally and patron. What is this ultimately all about? Like, you know, does this relate to to China's aggressive stance toward Taiwan? You said we don't know what's in this pact; it's secret. But what do they think is? <laughs> So the first thing is that, you know, what we're seeing here is the, you know, the, the exact opposite. What China is doing is the exact opposite of what the United States has done in this region. The United, the, China has been applying this relentless diplomacy uh, across the Pacific Islands, and it has, uh, and it has a two-pronged purpose. The first is they've been seeking to flip those remaining Pacific Island states that have diplomatic recognition and relations with Taiwan and to bring them into the the People's Republic of China diplomatic fold, to deny Taiwan those, those diplomatic outposts. And the second is to offer China and to offer the the Chinese development model, including uh, participation in the in China's Belt and Road Initiative, this massive multi-billion-dollar infrastructure development program, as an alternative to Western and particularly U.S. Um, development initiatives over the last decades. And they have, again, they've been relentless. They've been on the ground. Um, and the other thing is that they that China has been extremely attentive to the concerns of Pacific islands to the climate crisis. Uh, these yeah. are islands that will inevitably be swallowed up if and when the ice caps melt. Um, and so China has paid attention to this and has been engaging in, in very uh, direct climate diplomacy. And just last week, they opened up, the Chinese opened up a Pacific Islands um, climate center to uh, study and come up with and brainstorm potential solutions or mitigations to climate related threats to these islands. And this is an area that the U.S., particularly under the, pre the previous administration, just walked away from. Philem Kine, thank you so much for talking with me. My pleasure. Thank you. Also in the news, on Monday, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously that Boston violated the free speech rights of a conservative activist when it refused his request to fly a Christian flag on a flagpole outside City Hall. Justice Stephen Breyer wrote for the court that the city discriminated against the activist, Harold Shirtliff, because of his religious viewpoint. And the January 6th Select Committee on Monday requested testimony from three more House Republicans, Arizona Representative Andy Biggs, 
Texas Representative Ronnie Jackson, and Alabama Representative Mo Brooks. It's not clear if the three lawmakers will comply. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.